0: So you say you got hooked. What, what does that mean exactly? How did you get hooked? Was it the excitement? Was it the, I mean, just the competition? Can you put your finger on what exactly it was that that hooked you into competition? Uh,
1: it, it was not the excitement. It was not the competition because I don't like of those things. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was working my ass off and knowing that I could be the guy that toughed it out and did better than everyone else. And that it was a solo pursuit, like I didn't have teammates that either I had to rely on or were re- relying on me. Like it was pretty much just a solo pursuit and it was like, who's the toughest motherfucker here?
0: Thank you for checking in with us on this edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. For this episode, we bring you the great Shelby Starnes. Shelby's a pro bodybuilder turned bodybuilding coach and you can check into him and his services at shelbystarns.com. Let me spell that for you. That's S-H-E-L-B-Y-S-T-A-R-N-E-S dot com. I also highly recommend following his Instagram page if you want to access a buttload of free fitness content that he turns out like nobody's business. Shelby's a fantastic athlete and a really great person to talk with, so I hope you all enjoy this episode. And so without further introduction, here we go. Hey, welcome back to yet another edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. I am James, and with me, as always, is my good friend Colt. You know it. And with us on the line today, bodybuilding extraordinaire, Mr. Shelby Starnes. How are you doing today, Shelby?
1: Good. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. We, uh... I love following your Instagram and I got to tell you I don't know anybody who puts out more good like quality free content on Instagram than what you do. And I just start this whole thing off by saying how much I appreciate that. I know a lot of people appreciate that. Um, but that's just awesome, man. I don't know how for one thing how you find the time to do it, but just how you keep all this information coming at us like uh like rapid fire, man. That's awesome. So what's your motivation there?
1: Thank you. What's my motivation there?
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Uh it's multifactorial. I mean, I like, I've I've been doing this for a while. So maybe I have insights and experiences that are valuable to others that can help them. So, I mean, that's, you know, just the good guy thing, like being helpful to other people is good. Right. You know, a lot of people look at Instagram and get caught up in comparisons and get caught up in misinformation or, you know, false concepts of what's, what's possible cognitive biases of various sorts. And so I just try to provide a a little dose of reality, hopefully not coming from too negative of a place. Like I think, you know, I, I, I try to stay lighthearted and positive, but also realistic at the same time. So, yeah, I mean, the the main thing is is helping people, giving, giving them a better understanding <clears throat> of the game and what can be accomplished in it. Um, I mean, I've been doing it for a while, and I am grateful to be in a position where I can do it every day and, and make it my living. And so if I can share that with other people, I like doing it. And I mean, obviously, it's a marketing tool as well, you know.
0: I don't know I've seen a lot of marketing tools out there and, and a lot of them don't come across as well as yours. So just just the the fact of adding value to people um, and really not having any uh, any real expectation. I mean, I know that you're gonna you're gonna get some people in in that net to uh purchase your services and whatnot your your coaching services but there's going to be a lot of people that just read your stuff and and they're going to take it and use it and you're not going to see a dime from that and so it's uh i I still you know once again that's
1: that's completely fine but i mean nowadays that's how you have to market like if you're trying to if you're if it looks like marketing you're doing it wrong
0: right (laughs) a good point that's that's a great Uh point
1: and if if you're just solely after the dollar, after the dollar, and trying to convert people that way, like you're in the wrong game. Um, for one, you probably don't enjoy what you're doing. You know, I, I, I think you can tell from my posts and whatnot that I enjoy what I'm doing, especially you know frequency and content and all that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the money the money's just a side effect of uh, of doing good work. So I think I think I think more people. Need to focus on doing good work and the money will come rather than focusing on money. And, you know, maybe I'll do some good work in the process or something like that.
2: Yeah, great. All right. So where did this all start for you, Shelby? Um, I, you can go back as far as you want, really, uh, as far as childhood. Did you lift or play sports or anything like that when you were younger?
1: I did not. I was, I'm was. i kind of the atypical bodybuilder. Um, <clears throat> I didn't play sports growing up. None of my family is into sports at all. Um, I'm the only one that is very active or, or, or whatever. Uh, in high school, I was more of a, a the artists writer guy. And then after high school, I, I did, I didn't get into lifting until after high school. Okay. Um, I just got into it. I got into it when I was like 19. I saw that my dad was in better shape than I was. And that just, seemed silly, like, well, you know, my dad's almost 40 or whatever, or early 40s, and I was 19, and he was in better shape than me, and I was like, I should correct this. <laughs> so I, just, <clears throat> I was smoking at the time, uh, cigarettes, and uh, so I was like, I'll just start exercising. He had a treadmill and did 30 minutes a day and did some light weights, and I was like, I'll just do that. I'll just do what he does and start monitoring it. And actually, in the very beginning, I remember I still have this journal journal. I would reward myself for exercise activity with cigarettes, like, like 30 minute workout equals like two cigarettes or something. (laughs) I wasn't, I wasn't like a chain smoker or anything, but I, I, I just thought that was interesting to like have a reward. But anyways, it, uh, it quickly morphed from, you know, just doing some light exercise on the treadmill to being like, Hey, I want to look good, you know, uh, without my clothes on or whatever. And, so I started looking at the magazines and, you know, Arnold's encyclopedia of bodybuilding they had at the bookstore. And I was like, wow, these guys look awesome. Like, it's amazing that a human can, you know, with directed effort, a human can make their body look like that. I, I want to do that. And uh, I remember telling my parents at the time, like showing them a pic in a magazine. I was, like, I was like, how cool is this? this? His abs look so defined and whatever. And they were like, "Yeah, that's a lot of work." And I was like, "Sign me up." So, it just gradually morphed into a desire to to bodybuild. I didn't compete for a while. I, you know, I graduated high school at like 155 pounds, and I'm 5'6", six by seven, so kind of a smaller guy. So it took me a while to add muscle. I didn't. I, I started lifting weights and getting into all that in about ninety. Seven or 98 and I didn't compete until 2005 I spent some time adding muscle I, I did some bodybuilding type training for a while and then I got into powerlifting type training and competed in powerlifting for a couple years before I ever did bodybuilding so I did powerlifting for a couple years and then I got back into the bodybuilding style training and said I'm going to compete now for my first time and I did that in 2005 and then I just got uh I was hooked from there and i competed for 13 consecutive years um after that from 2005 to 2017 did i think i did 18 shows in 13 years and on in 2000 i started in 05 competing in 05 in 2012 on my 35th birthday i turned pro earned my pro status so that was great. I never expected that to happen. And then I competed as a pro for five years. And then my last show was in two thousand seventeen, and I, I'm done officially with competitive bodybuilding since then.
2: Hmm. So going back to that first show, how did you do in your very first bodybuilding show?
1: I was I was tiny, but I was very conditioned. I was uh, I was one hundred and fifty eight pounds, which is the lightweight division goes up to 156 pounds. And then they didn't have walter weight there. There's a small division called vulture weight, which now goes from like one fifty six to one sixty five. So I would have been in that 156 to 165. Back then they didn't have the welterweight. They just had middleweight, which took the whole span from 156 to 176. Wow. So I was 158 pounds competing against guys that were up to 176 right and they said do you like i weighed in in the morning and they're like do you want to try to make lightweight you know it's only a, a couple pounds or whatever maybe it's 155 it's right around there i was only you know a few pounds over i was like no i'm ready like i don't i've already i'm already nervous as shit like i'm not <laughs> gonna add the no stress of trying to drop three pounds in a couple of hours when i know that i look pretty good mm-hmm. like i mean i was healed and, everything went well I hired a coach for my first show I knew that I had no idea even though I had been studying it for years and doing it for years you know the actual peaking process and contest dieting was I I know that that I I knew that that was a special animal that I didn't understand at all so I hired a coach and he did a good job with me so anyways I was 158 one of the smallest middleweights and I ended up I won the open novice division which would just be any novices, all one weight class. You know, regardless of your weight, you're just in one division. And I won that. And then in the open middle weights, there was like I think maybe ten or twelve guys, and I took second place. And that was a national qualifier. So the top two in each class at that time qualified for national level competitions. So taking second there, you know, getting national qualification at my first show was like a huge deal. Mm, that's for in, me. yeah, that's incredible. Holy crap! I'm tiny, but. I, I look good i guess and they liked it so like <laughs> i i wasn't I, I didn't really know what to expect um and it was a really rough prep because i didn't i didn't know what to expect there either like in terms of like what you're gonna feel like you know dieting and a type of restriction and everything so subsequent years i i kind of you have a better feeling of like okay this is gonna feel like shit at this point you know you're not gonna have a sex drive you're gonna be starving you're gonna you know feel like sleeping all day etc but it, w- when you're not ready when you don't see that coming you're kind of blindsided and you're like holy shit what is going on is this normal whatever so anyways the first the first show was like a a what what's the term a dream it's i don't it's not dream it's uh it's just like a I can't think of it right now there's a term that has the word dream in it it's like a journey just a crazy you know metamorphosis right um uh, but subsequent shows, it didn't get easier. But you just knew what to expect, and that made it easier.
0: So. so you say you got hooked. What what does that mean exactly? How did you get hooked? Was it the excitement? Was it the? I mean, just the competition? Can you put your finger on what exactly it was that that hooked you into competition? Uh,
1: it it was not the excitement. It was not the competition because I don't like of those things. Okay. <laughs> it was it was working my ass off and knowing that. I could be the guy that toughed it out and did better than everyone else and that it was a solo pursuit. Like I didn't have teammates that either I had to rely on or were relying on me. Like it was pretty much just a solo pursuit and it was like, who's the toughest motherfucker here? Yeah, right. Like there's other elements to bodybuilding, but like getting into true condition, unless you're a genetic freak and are just naturally lean, which is not most of us getting really lean. It has to be intelligent, and it also involves a high, a high pain tolerance. So, like, seeing that, seeing the, going through that process, having it being painful, and then showing up and seeing everyone else in the show and, and being like, wow, you guys don't look like you suffered. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I can see it in your glutes. It doesn't look like you dieted hard enough. Like, I did the homework. It paid off for me. I placed well that was really rewarding for me seeing my efforts you know I mean, it was very immediate well maybe not immediate it was relatively uh immediate feedback on my the work that I put in so then it was a matter of okay now I know that I can get conditioned enough now I need to fill out my frame fill out my physique add more muscle and then bring that same condition again and try to move up the competitive ladder
0: nice so it kind of that I mean what you just mentioned there kind of translates into life right knowing that you're that you give all you can sticking with the process being uh, as, as tough as you can whatever that means and whatever you're you're trying to achieve um, so it sounds like it was just more like a, a personal journey than it was for competition since you're uh, you know obviously not a fan of competition it sounds like <laughs> For for a competitor, that's right. that, that's interesting.
1: And, uh, I guess, like like we were talking about, like the Instagram post, all that stuff is just life stuff. It's not just, it's never just bodybuilding stuff. It's life stuff. But um, you know, bodybuilding is the lens that I've looked at life through for the last couple decades. And when I speak to other people, especially my Instagram crowd, that's the lens that they look at life through as well. So if I can couch these different perspectives from the bodybuilding perspective, it resonates with them better.
2: Absolutely. So when you first started coaching, was that something did like did you have somebody come to you and say, hey, I will you coach me, or was that something that you at a certain point decided this is what I want to do and you just had the confidence enough to be able to put people through the preps and things like that?
1: I never I never intended really on being a coach. I had I mean, I did well my first year, but it was because I was following my coach's direction. Right. You know, I wasn't. That wasn't my intuition or my insight or anything. But I did well, and I—I I mean, it—it it, it did teach me a lot and gave me a better grasp of a, a lot of things. But uh, it only taught me about my own prep. You know, it doesn't didn't necessarily teach me about all the myriad body types that there are. Right. Um, so I had a friend. I had a friend from powerlifting. I I mentioned that I had powerlifted a couple years prior to my first show. And and he actually used to bodybuild when he was a teen. And then he got into powerlifting. And then he wanted to do the same thing as me, get out of powerlifting and get into bodybuilding. And so I helped him diet for his return to the bodybuilding stage. And it worked out great for him. He ended up winning his class and the overall at his show. It was a big deal. And then I had a couple other, just like people in the gym, start asking me for help and this and that. But it was never anything full-time or anything that I thought I would pursue. But I, I, the coach that I worked with for my first show, I kept on working with him year-round. I, I knew that to make the most progress I could, I needed to have an experienced eye watching me and helping me. And so I was working with him year-round. And he eventually, uh, a couple of years later, said, you know, you have a a good grasp of this. He had a team of nutritionists under him working for him that kind of followed the same style of dieting that he liked. He said, do you want to be a nutritionist under me? And I was like, I don't, I didn't go to school for this. You know, I don't have a, a, a degree in this. This is not, you know, I mean, it's my passion, but it's not my profession or my study." Or at least formal study, and he said, "No, you understand it." Like he's like, sometimes you like you know the changes I'm going to tell you to do before we actually do them. So I, He's like, "I think you'll be good at it." They said, "Okay." So I started working under him, and then it just kind of snowballed from there.
0: So Shelby, you have a you have a college degree? Is that correct?
1: I have just a BA in psychology.
0: Yeah, and so Colt and I were discussing because uh, I'm. Uh, Counseling is my field, and mental health in general, and so I'm always interested in the mental health components and, and that approach into uh, fitness and nutrition and, and just everything that all the the thinking and the emotion that goes into. Everything that from the from the novice, just someone who likes to stay in shape, to the professional bodybuilder, how that affects their mental health, and and just you know how the the mental health also affects and vice versa. So I was just curious. We were talking about how maybe that psychology may influence you in your coaching or in your bodybuilding. Is there any insight you can give us into that?
1: It goes like this. I you know I am someone that's always very curious and likes learning, and I'm more of a big picture just G- gestalt type guides and like a you know super scientific like I- I exact fine detail guy I'm more of a big picture person okay. and you know I mean I studied a couple different things in college and then it just seemed like most of my interests like most of the a lot of the classes that I took were psychology classes and I mean this is just basic undergrad stuff sure so I just eventually said that's what I'm going to get my degree in and I was considering going to graduate school um, in cognitive psychology. It didn't pan out. My interests were more in bodybuilding. But the the degree didn't really I, I don't I don't feel like I learned a ton about psychology from my degree. You know, I mean I took a number of classes in psychology. It's just an undergraduate thing. I didn't I didn't go to graduate school for it. I got but you. that's just that's where my interests lie. And that's I mean most of the things that I f- spend my time thinking about and you know a lot of the books I read and 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 whatnot since then have been you know psychology, philosophy, how the mind works. A lot of it falls into that. But I can't say, oh, I learned this from school, and that's you know, A is what I learned from school, and then I apply it this way with my clients. It, that's not how it works. Yeah. You know, most of the stuff. Most of the stuff that I've. Any insights that I've picked up are just from experience yeah, over that, the years.
0: that's that's what I was gonna I was gonna add that uh, I, I get it. I have an undergrad in psychology as well, so I understand where you're coming from there. But I would imagine you've learned a boatload of information just being in the gym and uh, just uh, being intuitive and, and coaching now. Definitely, you're going to learn a lot more about people there than you will in a classroom, anyway. Because we always learn more in in real life experience than we do in the classroom. You know, is, is my understanding anyway? So yeah,
1: anything I, I mean, any of the stuff I post on Instagram is pretty much from experience.
0: Yeah, yeah. So well, then let's let's go with your experience then. You know, how would you say that uh, mental health, in in particular, uh, someone's someone's stability in the gym, typically, is it is it more fragile? Is it is it uh, is it stronger, or is it just like anywhere else uh, for anywhere in life? For people who are in the gym who have these goals, because a lot of people, they, they want to be competitors, they don't ever make it. Even the, the ones who are competitors, most of them don't win, right? I mean, you only have so many winners up on stage. And so how, how fragile is is someone who competes at that level and puts so much time and, and effort into building their body up? Um, would you say that they're, they're a, they they're have a strong constitution about them, psychological constitution, or are or a little more fragile and they can kind of compensate with the big muscles?
1: It varies. You know, like anything, it varies at the, at the, and it depends on what level you're talking about. I mean, if you just go to like a state level bodybuilding show, that's almost like an entry level bodybuilding show. And so you've weeded out a certain amount of the the population. You weeded out a certain amount of the population because you've weeded it down to just the people that are going to do a bodybuilding show. But if you go to, say, a national level stage or a pro level stage, not only have you weeded it out down to these are the people that are doing a bodybuilding show, but these are the people that are going to stick with it, continue doing it, which means a number of things. Um, It means they enjoy it enough to keep doing it. It means they've placed well enough to rise the ranks. It means that they've made whatever short-term sacrifices in their life to accommodate the lifestyle that supports getting to, to that level. It means they probably have somewhat of a type A personality. You know, they're probably a little bit anal about stuff and are able to make things happen. Sure. They probably are not too risk-averse. You know, they're, they're able to to take some, some risks in their life and are, are, are you know, willing to get the, the outcome that the positive outcome, um, from taking some risks in, you know, pushing their, their body to the max. But other than that, I mean, it, it really varies. I mean, most of them are type A once, once you get up the ladder, I mean, even getting to, to the, to the national level stage. But once you start getting into the people that have been doing it for, you know, consistently for years, then you're weeding out more and more to, okay, these people are pretty mentally strong. You know, they're at least bright enough to string together good seasons and make, make things happen. I don't know. Do, do you have any other questions on what I've just said? I mean, does that spark additional questions?
0: Uh, no, just uh, maybe. Uh, well, Maybe. Maybe, because you you said mentally strong over a period of time. I I think that speaks volumes, because what you mentioned there was the weeding out of people who are just, I don't know if you'd call them tourists, or maybe they think they want to do something and they really don't want to commit to it long term. And there's nothing wrong with that, in my opinion. You know, it it takes all types. Not everybody has the time, the patience, the fortitude, what have you, in order to train long term, in, in that sense at least. You know, hopefully everybody has enough energy and fortitude and motivation to stay in shape because that's always a good idea. You don't just want to fall out of shape, even whether you're a competitor or not. Um, Even if you don't want to uh, build yourself up to look like someone who could compete, you know, if you don't have that sense about you, it's still just a good idea to stay in shape. But... Uh, for someone to stick even with a diet long term, that's that's a challenge, you know. Shelby, I noticed that you posted something this morning about emotional eating. I am kind of curious, and this is where the question would come in. if you have any insight on what evolutionary process or, or what's the reason that, that human beings are emotional eaters? why do, why do we attach uh, the way something tastes, and maybe even the rush that we get from eating it and all of that, why do we attach that to our the way that we eat nowadays? you know because I was just having this conversation with someone just the other day about how our eating has moved from something that we you know food being used as fuel to food being used as everything else. It's social, you know and it makes us feel good. Uh, we have we eat when we're stressed or we eat when we're depressed, we just eat to feel better in general and we don't just eat to optimize our life. And so I was just wondering if you had any, any insight on, on that, um, the, why we are emotional leaders. Why does that happen?
1: Well, I guess <clears throat> this is another, you know, multi variable question. You know, I think if you just look at it from an evolutionary standpoint, gosh, what's, what's the right way to, to phrase this? We never lived in environments where it was so easy to get calories as easily as we can now. Right. And we also had to lo- had to move a lot more than we do now. So nowadays, it's easy to scarf down thousands of calories for a low amount of uh, expense and not have to do much work to get there. You know, I, I mean, since the rise of civilization from agriculture to the industrial revolution, um, every everything's getting easier and easier with less work. And now we're we're at the current pinnacle of that it'll probably get even easier but it's it's nothing like the hundreds of thousands of years of our evolutionary history you know that we quote unquote grew up in you know our, our bodies weren't involved to have this many calories uh, available to us and be as sedentary as we are sure um, so we've got that environment going for us the, the emotional thing, I mean, humans are just emotional. That's, uh, that's how most of our, that's, I mean, uh, emotions, that's like the, the lizard brain, you know, our, our, our primary drives, you know, the, the frontal cortex is the, the big thing that differ, differs in our brain from other animal brains. And that's where decision making and rationality and future planning and problem solving and all comes in, but we still have that basic animal brain in the back that we always had and that other animals have, which is, you know, very base driven, very um, uh, emotion driven. And so that's a lot of times that's our first response. That's our first response. And we've got this, we've got this human, you know, problem solving hardware as well that a lot of times we just use to rationalize the emotional response rather than come up with what might be a better, more productive uh, response. You know, I think it's a lot of times we think we make reasons based on uh, or or we, we think we make choices based on reasoning and rationality. But and I think if you study cognitive science much, you'll see that almost all of our choices are made Based on emotion first, and then after we make the emotion-based decision, then we build up the reasoning around it, the rationality around it. Mm. But in terms of you know emotions affecting eating, I mean a lot of people get frustrated. Uh, you know they're maybe they don't see the progress that they thought they should have, and. What's gonna make them feel good? They know they feel. They know they feel good after eating carbohydrates. They get a serotonin rush, you know, from chocolate or carbohydrates or whatever. So they cave and uh, eat a bunch of junk, and then they momentarily they feel better until they realize, oh shit, now I'm worse off than I was when I started. Right. Then there's all these layers to it with different hormones. And, I mean, it's a very complex, subtly nuanced topic with many involved.
2: So if I'm not mistaken, I recently heard you uh, on another podcast and you kind of talking about the difference between uh, coaching men versus women. And I think you uh, believe you said that you at one point had even thought about stop or stopping completely with women. And now you kind of it's actually a preference uh, as far as coaching women over men. Can you go into that a little bit? Give us an explanation on why that is.
1: Sure. Um, yeah, <clears throat> a handful of years ago, I was struggling to get women in shape and I felt like, felt like I understood, uh, coaching and prepping men better. And I was like, maybe I'll just stick with men. Cause I wasn't having the success, uh, with women that I wanted. And then it just kind of, it did, didn't really flip flop, but I started having more success with women. I started to get a better understanding and a better feeling for how they needed to diet. And then I had a couple you know, very successful clients and those, it just snowballed from there. You know, people see a couple successful clients, a string of successful clients, and they want to be one of them. And then they just become, you know, part of the marketing. You know, more people see that, wow, this guy's got woman after woman after woman that's turning pro and getting to the Olympia stage and this and that. So it just uh, more, more women want to hire you. And I, over time I said, Hey, I like working with women better. I, 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 I'm getting good results with them. They're easier to work with for me. One, one, they're easier to work with just from, uh, and just generally speaking from a psychological standpoint in terms of following through, you know, being consistent and not, not having as much of an ego or questioning things as much. Um, and I'm not, I I don't mean to say that all women are, are like that and all men are not like that because there's some women that aren't like that. And there's some men that are very easy to work with, but I'm just talking about overall. And so I just, at this point, I prefer working with women. Um, and I, any, any male competitors, I, I tell them that I, you know, there's, there's other coaches that are, are better at this than, than I am. You know, if you're, women's physique, figure, bodybuilding, anything like that, then, uh, I'd be happy to work with you. But if you're a male bodybuilder, then there's better coaches for it than me.
0: I noticed that there were a lot more, uh, women who you had, you were coaching on, on Instagram. And so I was kind of wondering that myself. I didn't know if that was just something that had by nature of your marketing or, or, or what have you, that that was, that was your target audience, but, or your target, uh, customer, but, uh, that, that, that is very interesting that the personality difference is, is what meshes the best with your coaching style that, that's very interesting.
1: I, I, I just seem to click better with with coaching women. I'm not saying that all women are the same by any means in, in mentality or physiology or anything like that um, I just I, I think they' they're easier to work with from a prepping and coaching standpoint on, on the average.
2: Right. So as far as uh, you said, guys can kind of have an ego. What do you, what exactly do you mean by that? Like what, what's an instance, I, I guess, uh, an ego from another guy clash with your coaching style?
1: Um, constantly questioning things like, okay. are you, sh- this is the right way to do it. You know, this, this other guy's doing this, you know, this guy's using this much drugs. Like, well, you know, why are not we doing this, this and that. It's like, good grief. I like the female. Him- Oh, that was like okay, got it. Talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I could see how that would get uh, that would wear your uh, on your you know nerves quite a bit if they're constantly I don't,
1: questioning. I don't mind questions, but it's just and again, it's it's on average, but it's uh, a lot of times men are just. It's like, why did you hire me? Right. You know the better way to. <laughs>
0: Right. Yeah. If I'm paying someone, I, I'm paying them to tell me what's up so I can listen <laughs> and then do it. Yeah. Otherwise, if I'm just going to ask questions, I'm probably not going to pay you that money. I'm probably not going to buy your services, right? right. So I had a, a couple of questions specific to your Instagram post. First of all, Shelby, I didn't realize that you were, I, I think the term is monozygotic twins with uh, Mr. Scott McNally. <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw I saw that post. I was like, oh my gosh! It, <laughs> it kind of scared I, me.
1: Not related. We're not related. And honestly, that's the first time that we even look relatively similar. <laughs> <laughs> There's Still. no like <laughs>
0: Well, I, I'm not convinced. It, it's just, it's no offense, with that picture—I I,
1: I, like, super <laughs> related at my calves would be much stronger, a much stronger point than they are.
0: Your calves? <laughs> yeah, he has monster calves, doesn't he?
1: Yeah,
0: those are incredible.
1: I've, I've got like Levar Burton calves.
0: <laughs> uh, my second question is—is is something specific about cardio? If you could answer this for me, because I, I saw this post on your on your Instagram account. And it, it, it sparked a question with me. It was about um, going at cardio too hard, especially at the first, when, like, I guess when you're first getting into the gym or first getting back into the gym. And, and this is kind of why I'm questioning it, because uh, I, I just got back into the gym uh, back in, what, November, I believe, of this past year. Uh, before I was just working out at the house uh, with limited equipment, so on and so forth, cardio really wasn't part of my of, of the game. And so when I did get back into the gym, of course, when I do something, I go balls to the wall. It's just my nature. When I get on, when I get into cardio, I go as hard as I can. But the uh, the post was about negative hormonal adaptations that can occur. What kind of specific negative hormonal adaptations are you referring to, Shelby?
1: Well, when you start dieting, I mean the, your body does not want to be super lean. You know, it likes storing fat. That's an evolutionary survival adaptation it it senses how much energy it's getting so when you start dieting when you reduce your calories dieting and or you increase cardio which is the same thing basically it's reducing calories you're expending more calories so I mean you can think of it as a gas tank like either you're putting less gas in because you're dieting and eating less or you're you know, burning more gas because you're doing more cardio, more activity, they kind of accomplish similar things. Okay. The minute, the minute you start doing not the, the well, maybe the minute, very, very quickly, your body res- resp- realizes, hey, there's caloric deprivation. So I am going to start slowing down my thyroid output. And there's a number of thyroid hormones. It's going to say, hey, I, I'm sensing a deficit. I'm going to start slowing the metabolism down a little bit to compensate for that. There's also, I mean, there are hundreds of hormones in the body. We're, we're discovering new ones all the time. But the big ones are thyroid, insulin, uh, the sex hormones, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. Testosterone can dip with dieting. It definitely does dip with dieting. Leptin and ghrelin our other metabolic hormones all of these know when you're dieting and they get further suppressed the the more severe you diet and the longer you diet um and those things can go hand in hand when i say severe i mean like what sort of caloric reduction and then length of diet is duration and those things usually go hand in hand you know you start you keep decreasing calories and you do it for longer all of these things are things that these, these hormonal adaptations, what your body does in response to the dieting is stuff to slow down your progress, which is why people plateau. So the trick, and it's, again, a very subtly nuanced trick um, with a lot of variables, and it varies from one individual to the next and one time to the next, the trick is to, is to lose fat without having too much of this adaptation going on. Or when the adaptation becomes too much, you do things to reverse it as much as possible, which is like doing caloric refeeds like high carb days or a cheat meal or taking a break off from cardio or something like that. What what a lot of people do is when they start dieting, you know, one day they wake up and go, holy shit, what happened? You know, that all those all that extra calories and inactivity suddenly crept up on me i'm a fat ass i need to get started so they just go nuts and they're like i'm gonna slash my calories down to you know a thousand a day and i'm gonna do cardio twice a day because that'll get me to my results twice as fast well yeah that works for a couple days and then you just you just sped up those hormonal hormonal adaptations like crazy your body's gonna go what the hell are you doing like you know you might drop some water weight initially, because you dropped your carbs or whatever. But then you're going to start holding water because your body is under stress, and so you're going to start secreting cortisol. Um, Your thyroid's going to slow all these different negative adaptations. So if you go nuts right from the start, one, one, you run into that hormonal adaptation wall a lot faster, and two, what are you going to do later? Like, what are the tricks up your sleeve for later? Cause you always have to have tricks up your sleeve cause it, it's never smooth sailing, hmm. but you always want to take baby steps, it's like cutting mm-hmm. hair, cut a little bit. How does that look? Okay. You know, you, you don't lap off a whole bunch and go, Oh shit, now I can't go back. Right. So that's, that's what that was about.
2: <clears throat>
1: take, take these steps basically. It's so
0: when, when you speak of refeed, uh, how is, is there a general rule about when you should include a cheat meal? Like, or does it just differ oh. and vary with people? <laughs>
1: There are no general rules. Period, right? (laughs) Nothing? (laughs)
0: Nothing's general?
1: Yeah, there's no general rule. Okay. I mean, if you're you're fat and most of your life has been cheat meals up to now, you don't need a cheat meal for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Mentally, mentally you might think you do. And mentally, if it helps you stay on the diet to have a cheat meal once a week, as long as it's not stupid, and as long as you're making progress, then keep it in. Because a lot of people especially people that their lives have been a cheat meal up to now they don't have the mental fortitude to go weeks and weeks and weeks strict yeah even though even though that even though that might be the best for them progress wise the mental fortitude isn't there right. so you build in these little rewards you know at the end of the week you can have you know a cheat meal or a high carb meal or whatever just to keep them staying compliant cuz staying compliant is number one the number one thing, you know, the person that goes at a hundred percent for four weeks and then gets completely burnt out and quits. Well, they're done. The person that goes at 85%, but goes for like 10 months, they're always going to beat them, right? Like you've built in longevity. Yeah. You're not a hundred percent, but you're good enough to make progress and stick with it. Make it, you know, a viable, sustainable thing, uh, lifestyle, but yeah, other than that, receipts are, I, I, they're so highly variable it, 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 in terms of if you're wanting to do them right. Makes but I mean, sense. if you're, if you're a, if you're a lifestyle client, you know, if you're just a guy that, or gal that's trying to drop some fat, set up a program that allows you to lose, you know, a few pounds a week and then still have that one date night with your, with your spouse where you go out and have a nice meal out, whatever you've been craving. Don't binge. Don't let it turn into a whole day or whatever and be ready, ready to see, you know, the scale is probably going to bump up for a day or two. If that's a big bummer for you, then stay off the scale, you know, only weigh in the day before your cheat meal each week. So you're still seeing that weekly progress, but you're not going to see the spike that you might not want to see after each, each refeed, if that's a bummer for you, but you should still be seeing progress, you know, Sure. Weigh yourself every Saturday morning and then have your cheat meal Saturday night. And then the next, you know, Saturday morning, you should be if if you set up everything else properly, you should be down whatever, you know, a pound, two pounds. But again, it's not always about the scale. Sometimes you get people that are gaining muscle and their composition is improving dramatically as they're dieting. So they're replacing fat with muscle. So the scale might stay the same, or they'll they'll see very minor, minor fluctuations in the scale scale, but their body composition is improving. And so that's not, that's nothing to be bummed about. Why would you be bummed about that? Like you're replacing fat with muscle. Yeah. The numbers staying the same, but who cares? Like it's not about the number. It's about the look and the feel and the health.
2: Right. The importance of uh, the mirror is just as important as the scale is. Right. I would say more so
0: for uh, a certain kind of people. I, I think the people who really rely on the scale are the ones who don't want to put in the work. They, they have no expectations of putting on muscle, maybe, or, or maybe they just don't know any better. Yeah, but I think a lot of people, they just want to lose weight without having to do a whole lot of exercise, a whole lot of training whatsoever. And so the scale is all they just, got.
1: It's just been drilled into people's minds, especially females, Yeah, that they need to be lighter, they need to be lighter, they need to be lighter. Um, that's just the culture. I mean, you don't – it's it's to. I mean, all the, all the women's magazines and all the television programs and all that stuff, it's all about weight loss and, you know, inches and this and that. Dress size. It's, yeah, it's not, about, it's not about adding muscle and improving your composition.
0: Yeah, and uh, really, I mean, w- I think we all agree that adding muscle is, is probably the healthiest thing that you can do, right, as far as your body composition, Um, it, it, it improves your, the, the efficiency of your body, the efficiency of, of the way that the food that you do take in, the muscle knows what to do with it a lot better than anything else in your body, especially fat. Fat just likes to add more fat.
1: Especially especially for beginners and intermediate. Yeah. Which, which is most people. For sure.
0: For sure. Well, Shelby, are you still taking, do you you take new clients? Are Are you still open? Are you full? How can our, how can our listeners find out more about you and about your services?
1: Uh, my website is just my name, com. Maybe you guys can put a link uh, in, in your in your page or whatever. Absolutely, and yep. And you, when you post this episode, that's the that's easiest way to get a hold of me. There's a contact page on there. Um, I, I do work with males, just not competitors. Okay. So if, I mean, if you're a guy that wants to add some muscle or lose some fat, I'm game for it. But I mean, if you're like a guy that's like, Hey, I'm gunning for my pro card and this and that. There's other coaches that are better for you. Um, and then women, I work with I, a lot of people. Get the idea that I just work with pros and I just work with competitors. But at least at least 50 of my clients are non-competitors. They're people that train. They know that they'll get you know optimal results from weight training, um, but they have no intention of, of of getting on stage. So if that's if that's you, um, then uh, I could definitely work with you as well.
0: Excellent, awesome. Well, man, and also, of course, I want to point everybody to your Instagram page because I'm telling you, if you if you want to you know have value added to your training, go to Shelby Starns 100, I believe it is, isn't it? Your Instagram page, yep. and uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm there every day looking for uh, what you're posting because there's always good information. And we uh, greatly appreciate you coming on today, Shelby. Thanks a lot for your time and for your expertise. And uh, we look forward to seeing what the future holds.
1: All right.
0: Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you to Shelby Starnes, and thank you all out there on Planet Cerebral. All oh, you beautiful Cerebralites, you. Remember that word of mouth is like oxygen in our lungs, so be sure to tell your friends and fam about our humble, yet completely fantastic show. Also, remember to subscribe to the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or Google Play, and you can also download the show at the launching pad for all things Cerebral at thecepodcast.com. If you should need to get in touch with us, and you should, just to say hey or to see if you can't book or, you know, whatever, let us know you're out there. Uh, you can do that at cerebral at the and be sure to show us all of your love and all of your affection on the socials. And until we meet again, please remember to keep your brains warm out there. Peace.